Metamore Studios proudly presents Metamore City, Season 2, a podcast series written and performed by Chris Lester. For show notes and author contact information, please visit metamorecity.com. Featuring the vocal talents of May Breakall, Kimmy Alexander, Nathan Lowell, Nobelis Reed, Mark Smith. These stories may contain adult language, sexual situations, and graphic violence. Listener discretion is advised. And now, Dreams of Change, Part 5. I sat in the back of the skimmer, watching the traffic zoom by. Natalie was driving. It was an old model, before they put the noise reduction on the engines. I could hear the whine. It was my skimmer, or rather, my dad's. I looked up front. Natalie was driving. Her bat ears flicked back and forth. Where's mom and dad? I guess it's just me. I don't see anyone else. This is the road. It happened right up ahead. What? I don't understand. Just stop here. It'll be fine. Natalie brought the vehicle to a halt, and when we got out, we were stuck in a traffic jam. I could smell smoke. Bad smoke. Smoke from burning plastic and leather and oil. We climbed over them to get to the blockage that was stopping everything. A skimmer just like the one we had been riding in sat in the middle of the road. Exactly the same except that the front half had been flattened by a huge truck. Natalie's eyes grew wide. This is the accident. Somehow my voice stayed calm. Too calm, in fact. Flat. They were killed instantly. No one knew where the truck came from. The long fingers of Natalie's hand snaked into mine, and she gripped my hand tightly. I couldn't seem to return the gesture. That's me under there trapped. The paramedics will be here soon. Cut me out. Save my life. I looked around. There should have been sirens. There should have been all kinds of noise, but it was quiet. The only sound was the faint crackle of flames coming from the engine compartment. Come on, we have to get you out. We do? But that's not how it happened. This is a dream, Ben, not a replay of history. Come on, look. She gripped the metal frame of the car and bent it easily in her hands. We've got power here. If you focus your mind, you can make anything happen. Anything? Yes. This is lucid dreaming. Once you're aware you're dreaming, you can change anything. I looked down at my body. I had two arms, two legs, no disfiguring scars. She was right. I could control anything. When I looked up, I had two legs of polished wood with bright brass fittings and an arm to match it. Leather straps held them to my body. Instead of being out on the street, we were in my dorm room. I lay naked on my bed, and she stood nearby, wearing the human form that I had seen briefly when I first arrived at the belfry. She waggled a finger at me, smiling. Now, now, it's not polite to change another person's appearance. Her features melted, and she returned to the half-bat form she was comfortable with. Why do you look like this? It's who I am. The real me. Real? (laughs) Laughter echoed through the room. 
The voice was cold and deep. I turned my head to see a twisting, gyrating worm with iridescent skin coming in the window. Flashes of multicolored light shone out from its body, and wisps of dark vapor twisted around it. I knew from the rainbow colors that it was the being I had been pursuing in my earlier dream. Reality is an illusion, it said, and the smoke changed to black bubbles that danced around it in circles, making out-of-tune whistling noises. Who are you? It laughed again, and then suddenly sped away, around a corner and out of sight. We have to catch it! I sprinted for the door, but there was no floor, and I suddenly found myself falling. I screamed until a hand found mine and pulled me up short. It was Natalie. We were flying between the buildings, suspended on great bat wings sprouting from her back. Thanks, I said, looking around for the flashing worm thing. That thing isn't acting like a dream entity. How do you know? It's way too inhuman. The people you meet in dreams who are aspects of your subconscious are almost always people of one kind or another. So what do we do now? We landed on a rooftop garden, and Natalie's wings folded back down until they disappeared. We stopped the dream. You were right, of course. This isn't a psychological problem. You're possessed. Possessed? Are you sure? You're in control of your dream now, right? Yeah, pretty much. I turned a small decorative birch into an apple tree and picked a ripe red fruit. Good. Now make the flashy thing appear. I paused, focusing. A light appeared, but it wasn't the same, and we both knew it. It said, Sorry, and winked out of existence. See? That thing's foreign. It's another mind, a mind from elsewhere. If it were part of you, you'd probably be able to summon it up. A monster from the id. (laughs) No, but maybe something that doesn't mean you any good. We need to get you to a specialist. Get rid of it. No! It was back, and bigger than before. Its light and sound dominated the entire area, making the floor shake under our feet. It had grown hands with long metal claws that dug into the concrete. I am not going. Miss Walters, I said, taking several steps back. You can dispel the ritual. Miss Walters, now please. I grabbed Natalie's hand and pulled her into a stairwell behind us. I knew she was going to flake out on us. A clap of thunder, a lurch, swaying. The building was giving way. I held onto the railing, and then we fell. It had been a long time since I had had a dream of any kind, much less a falling dream. But isn't there a rule somewhere that when that happens, you're supposed to wake up with a start? I didn't wake up. The building disintegrated around us, turning into a cascade of rubble. Natalie and I were left clinging to a hunk of concrete as it twisted in the rushing air. Natalie was screaming. We have to get control, I shouted over the crashing thunder of destruction. It's too strong. We have to end the dream. That's not working. Come on, help me. Change the scene. Make it, make it the belfry. Concentrate. I gritted my teeth and wished with every fiber of my being for that bedroom. And we were there. We had done it. I knew we were still dreaming because none of the ritual items were there, and Miss Walters wasn't watching from her seat at the foot of the bed, but at least the nightmare had been banished. It's going to be back. I know. Think calmly. What what do we do? 
She took a deep breath. If it were an ordinary nightmare, one of those things you can do is confront it, ask it what it has to say to you. Sometimes that's enough to banish it. But Ben, this is no ordinary nightmare. This isn't some unresolved issue in your subconscious. This is some kind of foreign entity. Maybe it can be reasoned with. And then it was there, floating above the bed, throwing its multicolored lights over the walls. I can. Can you? Its mouth was full of teeth, some sharp and triangular, some blunt molars arranged with no pattern or rhythm. I couldn't help backing up against the wall. Can you talk, Ben Stansfield? Yes. I swallowed and gathered my wits. What do you want? It is not a want. It is my being. I am change. Flux. Transformation. Disorder. What do you need to change? Change is all. Change from all. Change to all. Is that why you change me every few days? Power must flow. It cannot be stopped. Only diverted. Natalie grabbed my arm. Ben, it's a chaos elemental. A fundamental being of transformation. I shuddered. Its rapidly changing appearance was unnerving. How did you get here? Memory is not an aspect of chaos. Then how are we communicating? I borrow your perspective. Then you've seen my memories as well. Can you interpret them from your own point of view? I am the power you think of as yours. You hold me back, but you fail. So you're the only reason I have magic? If you were removed, I would be powerless? Predicting the future is not an aspect of chaos. I go where I will. This place is good. This would take some thinking. Are you the one keeping us from waking up? Stasis is not an aspect of chaos. Good. Then I'd like to change from sleeping and dreaming to awake and thinking... I am not going. going. I hear you. Now, wake me up, damn you. The dream faded, and I awoke. We were nestled together, her head on my chest, one leg crossing over my thighs. My body reacted with an uncomfortably rapid erection. As I tried to extricate myself, she gradually came awake. Some dream. Yeah, I'd say it was a complete success. The only question now is what to do about it. I raised one knee to hide the bulge I was making in the covers. Natalie rolled away, yawned, and suddenly screamed and pointed. I sat up and instantly saw why Miss Walters hadn't been able to dispel the ritual. She had never heard it. Sitting in the chair, holding a pair of dull gray knitting needles, was a statue of Miss Walters, perfect in every detail. She had been turned to stone. Harrison burst in at Natalie's scream and immediately summoned emergency services. They were there within minutes and took Miss Walters away for delithification at the Magical Disorders Clinic. In the midst of the confusion, Mr. Grace returned to the belfry. He went straight to Natalie and pulled her into his gangly arms, heedless of the strange body she was wearing. Are you all right, Kit? I'm fine. Ben says this will wear off after a few days. Good. But I was asking about your emotional state. 
A bit shook up, I guess. I'm fine. Good. He let her go and stepped back. Can we both agree that this young man's dreams are dangerous? She nodded. He turned to me. Now then, Mr. Stansfield, I have your cooperation in this. You're here because I allow it, not because of any influence on my daughter's part. If I'm unhappy, you're out on your ass. Got it? I couldn't help feeling like I was twelve years old, being scolded for being out past curfew. Yes, sir. Good. Now then, it's late, and I believe you have some classes tomorrow. Probably best if you two are off to your beds. Your own beds, if you please. My face throbbing with embarrassment, I returned to my room, cleared away the remains of the ritual, and slid under the covers. Sleep, however, did not come easily. The truth of my condition burned in my mind. The magic wasn't me, exactly. It was something attached to me, something stuck in my dreams. It was content to stay there as long as it had the opportunity to change things, including me. The thought disturbed me, like I had some kind of parasite. My first instinct was to get to an expert and have the thing removed. But what would that mean? Exercised from my dream world, my source of power would be gone. I'd be a mundane, more than halfway through a monology degree that would suddenly have a lot less relevance to my life. I'd still be able to get a job, but it would be like a celibate giving sex and marriage advice. Without being able to truly experience that which I was studying, who would trust me? Changing majors wouldn't be an option either. My scholarships and state aid would run out before I could get enough credits to get a degree in anything else. I was stuck. The other option was to leave it there, striking a devil's bargain in exchange for magical power. I would have to allow it to change me, at its whim, into whatever random form it chose. I would be at its mercy whenever it decided to do so. So far it had been when I was dreaming, but how long would that last? I shuddered at the thought that this thing was inside me, waiting to ambush me, and there was nothing I could do to defend myself. Either choice seemed fraught with trouble, but my first instinct was to get rid of the horrible creature. Now that we knew more or less what was wrong, I could find someone who could fix it. Not only could I live a somewhat more normal life, but I could spit in the face of all the people who thought my condition was under my control. I could show them that they were wrong about me all along. And then, I had figured out how to live my life with three missing limbs. I had figured out how to live my life with two or three new bodies a week. I would learn how to live without magic. Hells, the vast majority of humanity managed to get along without it. I would too. When I woke up, nothing had changed from the night before. There was an hour before we had to leave for class so I got dressed and went out to the desk to run some searches. A cup of coffee appeared next to me, delivered by a dark-skinned hand. It smelled wonderful. Natalie stood there, still wearing the form the Chaos Elemental had given her, with a cup for herself. Sleep well? Yes, and you? Something of a nightmare, but not bad. Nothing like what we experienced last night. What's going on? Making up homework? Dr. Swallowtail isn't the only aniromancer in Metamore City. I'm going to find one who can help me get rid of this thing in my head. You know, it's not really in your head, per se. The dream dimension is parallel to this one. Yes, I know, I know. But it feels that way, and I'm getting it out. 
Do you know any of these people? I turned the monitor so she could see. She scanned the names and shook her head. The problem you've got isn't the kind of thing nyromancers usually handle. They work with counselors and therapists. Most of them are psychologists. The kind of person you need is a scientist. They're not going to be listed in the usual directories. All right, so what directories do I use? Honestly, the leading in Nyromancy research is being done at Empire University. That's why I'm going there. I shook my head. Which means dealing with Dr. Swallowtail or one of her colleagues. Collaboration is how science is done, Ben. You know that. Okay. I narrowed my eyes. Do your teachers gossip about other researchers? People looking into alternate angles that don't fit with what their pet theories say? It's a good idea. Find a rival. Problem is, I'm not really part of that social circle, and I don't know who's shut out. Shouldn't be too hard to find out, though. If we go through the research journals, we should come up with a name or two to try out. Can we get those on the net? By subscription. I grabbed my pack. I guess I'll have to get them at the library, then. Ben, sit. She took the keyboard, found the Journal of Aniromancy, and bought the subscription. Natalie, you just spent 2,000 marks. Won't your dad be angry? Okay, so I blew my allowance. I should have gotten that subscription a long time ago. Don't worry about it. She pulled a chair over and sat down next to me. Now, let's find our rebel scientists, eh? Harrison provided some bagels with eggs, cheese, and bacon that were absolutely delicious. And just before we had to leave, we had our man. One Dr. Sean Pressman, working out of Brightleaf College. Natalie sent him a message from her personal account, asking to make an appointment to discuss, as she put it, an interesting case. Then we packed up our things and drove to the university. When we parted, she took my hand and looked into my eyes. I'll call you immediately if I hear anything. Take care. And then she kissed me. It was only a little peck, but it was more affection than anyone had shown me in years. I stood, stunned, one hand on my cheek and a smile on my face that must have looked completely idiotic to the people walking by. The day's classes sped by. Luckily, I didn't have transformation and didn't have to confront Dr. Swallowtail yet again. Folks mostly left me alone, though there was a good deal of hushed conversation, pointed fingers, and suspicious glances. I may have been cleared by the police, but the gossips were still talking about me. Just before lunch, I got a text message from Natalie. Meet me at Skimmer. I frowned at how little there was. I shrugged, assuming that she was busy with something, and started towards the parking area. When I got there, though, her skimmer was empty. I looked around. No sign of her. I got out my phone and checked it again. The message definitely came from Natalie. Something slammed into me from behind. I fell on my face, the phone clattering across the pavement. A weight dug into my back, hard and round. Someone's knee, I guessed. Another weight fell on my arm, pinning me to the ground. I heard the unmistakable sound of a pistol's action working. Say one word and I'll blow your head off. Cold metal pressed against the back of my neck. It was Matheson. I couldn't believe my ears. Matheson was supposed to be the victim. Had he escaped and blamed me for Randall's plot? When I let you up, you're getting into the car and driving. No tricks, or I take you out. The weight lifted from my back, 
and I slowly regained my feet. I still couldn't see anyone around me. Had I been assaulted by a ghost? A set of keys dropped into my hand. Open the trunk. I got a gun. You open your mouth even a little, and I blow your head off. I slowly got back to my feet and looked at the keys. Where's Natalie? Not a fucking word! He hissed from right behind my ear. Do it, freak! I wiped sweat from my palms and walked around to the back of the skimmer to open the trunk. My fingers were shaking almost too much to get the lock open. I stopped, closed my eyes, and took deep breaths. Something inside the trunk thumped. The key finally went in, and the lid came up. Natalie was inside, duct tape over her mouth and binding her wrists, knees, and ankles. A box cutter lay on the carpeted floor next to her head. Cut her free. I gingerly cut through the tape, holding her hands, then her knees and ankles. She stripped the tape from her mouth with a grimace while I worked. Her eyes were bloodshot, and she looked like she had been through all nine hells, but she didn't seem to be hurt. When she was finally free, I lifted her from the car, and she jumped into my arms. I was so worried. We're not out of trouble yet. A voice from a few cars down startled me. Hey, lady, you all right? A security guard had come out of the building. He was watching me suspiciously. Matheson whispered, close enough for me to feel his breath on my cheek. Just a prank. Nothing to worry about. Just a prank. Nothing to worry about. Natalie sounded nervous. Too nervous. If the guard got suspicious, we'd be dead. Maybe him, too. I chuckled, trying to sound sincere. (laughs) Yeah, a sorority thing. You know how it is. You sure? Yes! When the guard had disappeared back into the building, Matheson poked us with the barrel of his gun. All right, into the car. Girl freak, you first. Try anything and your boy freak dies. Natalie swallowed hard, took the keys, and sat behind the controls. The passenger door opened, and I could see from the depressions in the upholstery that Matheson had gotten into the tiny back seat. Now you're turning Stansfield. Get in. I sat down next to Natalie, and we shared a nervous smile. At least we were together. Now, drive. Where? Down. Street level. Natalie turned the key and the skimmer whirred to life, lifting smoothly from the parking space. She turned toward the exit and pulled out onto the busy skyway. If you shoot us now, I'll drive off the edge. Who says I have to shoot you both? I felt the muzzle tap the back of my head. I'll start with Boy Freak here. You want to drive his corpse around? Keep mouthing off. What do you want, Matheson? I glanced into the back seat. I could see where he was, crammed in behind Natalie, but my magic required me to see my target. If I had even the smallest energy spell, even just a frost lance, I could have used it on him easily. But I didn't. You think you're such hot shit, don't you, Boy Freak? Your special privileges and your accommodations... Well, you fucked up this time, boy freak. You messed around with the wrong guy. I never messed- Bullshit! The skimmer lurched as Matheson threw his weight behind me. You played switcheroo with that Andy asshole, Randall, to get into my room. Fucking with my head. Well, no more of that, boy freak. I'm in charge now. Matheson, Herb, listen, I never meant- Bullshit! You were always playing with my mind. You think I didn't notice that you looked exactly like the- The girls in my dreams? You think I didn't notice- You're fucking with my mind from day one, freak! 
His voice had risen to a shriek, and his thrashing around was making the skimmer sway dangerously. Take that exit! Right there! Do it! Natalie swerved in front of a heavy cargo truck to make the turn. We raced around the ramp way too fast, and nearly smashed into the back of a garbage truck on the next level down. The sky got a bit darker, as we were only one level from the street. Dull gray windows raced by us on both sides. I'm the smart one, freaks. I'm the one who figured out your little plan, figured out what you were trying to do, and turned it back on you. I killed that Randall fucker for what he did, and now it's your turn. I could hear Matheson panting. If Natalie and I got out of this alive, it would be a miracle. I had to figure out some way to make Matheson visible. I scanned the dashboard and the floor, but there was nothing. Not even an old fast food bag. Why couldn't Natalie be sloppy like every other college kid in the world? I had to keep him talking. If he was talking, he wasn't shooting. So why didn't you just let me transfer off the floor? What? And let your freakish filth pollute some other mind on the campus? Oh no, I know your type. You want everyone to be like you. Want everyone to take the curse. Make yourselves all sexy. Get everyone to love you. Even though no one can tell what they're going to get once they're under your skirts. Herb, I'm not an androgyne. Shut up! The gun barrel whacked against the back of my head so hard I saw stars. Natalie screamed and swerved, avoiding a slow car in the fast lane. I looked over at the speedometer. She was going over 150 clicks. She gripped the wheel so hard the tendons were standing out in her hands, and she trembled with fear. Slow the fuck down! Screamed Matheson, and I felt a pressure on my left shoulder. His arm was there, right there on my shoulder, as he pointed the gun across his body at Natalie. I knew where he was. I grabbed his arm, forcing it down, pinning his arm to the seat, bending his elbow back at a painful angle, then forced my body against it to hold it in place. Matheson screamed. He jammed his body against the seat, but he couldn't get to me, not in the contorted position he found himself in. Words sprang to mind. I spoke them. Motions appeared in the fingers of my free hand. I made them. I reached down, found the power, right where it had always been, as if it had always been a part of me, and let it go. Police were there within minutes, in the form of six patrol skimmers and a gunboat. It's nice being a daughter of privilege. They took control of the situation immediately, securing Natalie and me in the back of the gunboat. I told them where they could find Matheson, and how. I didn't get to see them throw a dispel on the skimmer to spoil his invisibility, or pull his helpless body, with neither arms to hold a gun nor legs to run on, from the back. I didn't get to hear him screaming and crying and growling incoherently. I didn't need any of that. Natalie and I were alive. Mr. Grace met us at the police station. We were waiting in the captain's office, enjoying coffee and donuts usually reserved for the detectives. He swept in with his usual flair, smiling his predatory smile. Daddy! Natalie leapt to her feet and into his arms. Clearly, I need to be more involved in your life. Things keep going on when I'm not around. How's Mom? Same as always. She sends her love. I looked into my coffee cup, embarrassed at being privy to this bit of family business. So, I'm here. My family is safe, and the perpetrator is behind bars. I think it's time for me to hear the whole story. Lieutenant Harcourt stood up. For some reason, he didn't look pleased to tell the story, which was odd because he had been much happier before Mr. Grace arrived. 
Here's what we've been able to piece together from the evidence, a statement from Mr. Stansfield, and the confession of the accused. On the night of the 14th, John Randall and Mr. Stansfield conspired to disguise Randall and get him into Herb Matheson's dorm room. Once there, there was some kind of a sexual encounter between Randall and Matheson, possibly with alcohol involved. Early the next morning, Matheson regretted this encounter and strangled Randall in his sleep. He put an invisibility talisman on the corpse and smuggled it down to street level, where he was able to bribe the operators of a garbage incinerator to destroy the corpse. He then returned to his room and smacked his head against the bed frame to leave traces of blood and hair. A non-detection scroll obliterated any magical traces of the crime. He then used the invisibility amulet to leave the premises, expecting that Stansfield would take the blame for his own murder or abduction. He hid out at street level, staying in contact with a couple of trusted friends by mobile phone. Mr. Grace interrupted with an upraised hand. I expect charges of conspiracy are pending for those friends. Of course. Arrest warrants have already been drawn up. Mr. Grace smiled. Excellent. Do go on. When Matheson found out that the charges had been dropped, he knew his plan was falling apart. He gathered more information from his friends, learning of the growing relationship between your daughter and Mr. Stansfield. He used his invisibility amulet to gain access to the classroom level, and kidnapped Miss Grace from the hallways. He used her phone to lure Mr. Stansfield into an ambush, and had them drive down toward the street level. His snout curled in a little smile. Mr. Grace, you owe Mr. Stansfield a great debt. It was his quick thinking and decisive action that saved your daughter's life. He rendered Matheson helpless, and then cooperated fully once officers arrived on the scene. Mr. Grace held out his hand to me. I guess I do it that. I took it. It's okay, sir. Nonsense. I owe you, and that's final. So it was that over dinner at a top-tier restaurant, we discussed my future. With Daddy's influence, we could get Dr. Swallowtail to bend over backwards to make sure we get your condition taken care of. I don't know. I'm starting to think I'd lose more than I'd gain. I've had this power since I was a kid. Losing it now would be like, well, like losing a limb. Natalie nodded. I understand. After a bit of discussion, we agreed that Mr. Grace would fund an off-campus apartment for me, close to the campus, until graduation. Assuming my grades continued as they had been, he would use his contacts to get me a good job afterwards. He assured me that it would be no trouble at all. Someone with my talents and skills would always be in demand. Just one stipulation, he said finally. No overnight dates. I blushed. Don't get me wrong, he said, holding up one hand as if to fend off the deadly eye beams from Natalie's glare. Natalie's a grown woman and can make her own decisions. I don't want you sleeping together right now. And by that I mean nothing more than what I said. Ben Stansfield, your dreams are dangerous, and I want you to understand them better before my daughter is involved. Agreed? Yes, sir. I wouldn't have it any other way. You've been listening to episode 50 of the Metamore City Podcast. Written by Nobilis Reed. Performed by Chris Lester. And edited by Scott Roche and Paulette Jackson. This episode featured the voice talents of... Chris Lester as Ben Stansfield and Nathan Grace. Kimmy Alexander as Natalie Grace. May Braycall as Benform Natalie. Nathan Lowell as Harrison. Nobilis Reed as Herb Matheson. And Mark Smith 
as Lieutenant Harcourt. Some music provided by David Beard at davidbeardmusic.com, used with permission. Other music and sound effects provided by Digital Juice at digitaljuice.com, SoundSnap at soundsnap.com, and the Free Sound Project at freesound.org. This audio adaptation of Dreams of Change was recorded and mixed at Metamore Studios in Berkeley, California. The story is copyright 2009 by Nobilis Reed, and the recording is copyright 2010 by Chris Lester. This recording is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.5 license, and all other rights are reserved to the author. We'll be back with more of the Metamore City Podcast right after these messages. October 1st, 2110-1022 GMT. Following the assassination of the American president, the generals who have seized power initiate World War III, launching a surprise attack against the Eurasian coalition's forces throughout the Earth-Moon system. Across the orbits, tens of thousands of particle beams and lasers blast away at one another. The gull crushed the other side's weaponry, paving the way for nuclear bombardment of the cities. As Inferno becomes Armageddon, the rogue commando unit Autumn Rain embarks on one last run. The imprisoned spymaster Matthew Sinclair plots his escape, and his former protege, Claire Haskell, capable of hacking into both nets and mines, is realizing that all her powers may merely be playing into Sinclair's hands. For even as Claire evades the soldiers of East and West, amid carnage in the lunar tunnels, the surviving members of the rain converge upon the moon, one step ahead of the Eurasian fleets, but one step behind the mastermind who created Autumn Rain and his terrible final secret. Released by Bantam Spectra on May 25th, The Machinery of Light completes David J. Williams' Autumn Rain trilogy, which began with The Mirrored Heavens and was continued in last year's The Burning Skies. Learn more about the world of the early 22nd century at www.autumnrain2110.com. We'll be deploying at over 70,000 feet. The suits will supply us with oxygen and maintain our body temperature. Air is almost non-existent at this altitude, and the negative pressure would literally boil your blood. I'm scared, Sension. I'm scared too, friend. Distance to target, 11,000 meters. All right, then. Here we go, Nathaniel. Ready? Jump. The wait is finally over. Leviathan City exists at over 35,000 feet under the ocean. Tell me what is hidden here, Evangeline. The pieces are in place. It is the sanctuary for a group of immortals that have existed there for the last thousand years. I regret that I have kept certain aspects of our mortal existence secret. And soon, that which is hidden. That is, until one group decided to leave paradise and live amongst humanity will now be revealed it's now or never and one secret black door is the only thing that stands in the way of the genocide of the human race will ignite a war <laughs> that will span the globe what are those things <laughs> black door knows we're into battle <laughs> all guard units 
This is Evangeline. And not everyone. Please, Talia. We'll get out alive. I'm so sorry, McCallum. Fire again. Fire everything. I have wanted to do this for over a millennia. Why would Evangeline want an army? I fear something very sinister is hovering around Leviathan. It's time to get ready for war. On May 26th, Chapter 25, the season finale of The Leviathan Chronicles will drop. Go to iTunes or www.leviathanchronicles.com to listen to current episodes and get ready for the biggest chapter in the Leviathan saga. I want to live. Hi, this is Michael Spence from BrotherOsric.com, and you're listening to the Metamore City Podcast. Thanks, Michael. And we're back. And I'm sure that a bunch of you guys are expecting an explanation from me. After all, it's been three months since part four of Dreams of Change dropped, and there hasn't been a new episode of Metamore City in over two months. So, I'm sure that many of you are saying, Chris, what's been going on? And as a matter of fact, I've been getting emails saying something to that effect for about the last month or two. So, what has been going on? Well, (laughs) let me explain to you guys uh, how the education system in California works. As most of you know, teaching is a new career for me. And part of that process involved going through a teacher internship program. Now, what does that mean? Basically, it means that I have been getting my schooling about how to be a teacher while I've been getting paid, which is awesome because it actually makes it affordable for me to do this for a living. But it also means that there were a bunch of hoops that I had to jump through and tests that I needed to pass in order to demonstrate that I was qualified to teach and that I'd learned the things that I needed to learn from my program. And right about the end of April, a whole bunch of those requirements came thrown down on top of me in addition to all of the normal stuff that I have to do as a teacher getting into the end of the school year. The last month and a half of school is pretty much a non-stop race to deal with things like testing and student examinations and the proficiency presentations that our juniors and seniors have to do and on and on and on. And with all of that going on and with some really serious high stakes exams that I myself had to pass, There was no time for working on the podcast, and I felt really terrible about that. It really bothers me that I've gone two months without an episode, but at the same time, given the choice between working on my podcast and working on doing the things that I need to do as a teacher for my professional responsibilities, I have to go with my professional responsibilities, guys. I'm sorry. I know that people have been supporting the show really strongly, and some of you guys have been supporting it financially, and I really appreciate that. I don't want you to think that I don't, but the day job had to come first, 
and I'm really sorry that it resulted in this long hiatus, particularly in the middle of a story. I thank you, those of you who've been sending me messages of support during this difficult period. I want to thank everybody for your patience. And for those of you who wrote in to say that you were really anxious to see the next episode, I want to thank you for your passion in supporting the show. So for those of you who didn't follow me on Twitter, follow my updates, and didn't know what was going on, that's what's been going on. And now we are at summertime. And what does summer hold for us? Well, my priority is going to be working on getting things unseen finished. If there's one thing that this whole experience has taught me, it is that trying to write and produce the podcast and keep on a regular schedule while all of these work responsibilities are piling up on me just doesn't work. Some people are able to maintain those kinds of consistent regular schedules with their day jobs and with their writing. I cannot, and it's time that I admitted that to myself. Now, I am going to be leaving tomorrow and going to be gone for a month on Writer's Retreat. You'll recall that last summer I went and did a week-long retreat with Gail Carriger up at her mom's place, and that was really successful. And so this year I'm going to be doing something like that again. I'm going on a 10-day retreat to do some writing with Abigail Hilton of the Cowrie Catchers podcast. And then I'm going to my parents' house in Michigan to continue my writer's retreat while I take care of some oral surgery that I need to get done. Nothing scary, don't panic. Just a little bit of compensation for a little genetic defect that I have. And once I come back, my focus is going to be on building up a backlog of episodes. I'm not going to give you guys a date when I'm returning. I don't know how long it's going to take me, but before Metamore City returns, I will have 10 episodes completed in the can, ready to be released on a regular schedule. That's my commitment to you guys. I don't want this sort of pause to happen again ever in the middle of a story, but I'm going to get at least a 10 episode buffer put together. And it's going to be complete stories. I'm not going to end on a cliffhanger for you guys. And while those 10 are going out, I'm going to work on getting Things Unseen ready to go out. And Things Unseen is not going to drop until it is ready. So, for however long this takes, I hope that you guys have enjoyed what you've gotten so far of Metamorph City Season 2. And I commit to you that when I come back, you're going to get a good, solid chunk of story. In the meantime, if you would like to leave feedback, my phone number is 765-LESTER-9. That's 765-537-8379. Please call in and, and let me know what you think of the show. You can also email your comments in text or audio file to feedback at metamorcity.com. You can comment on the blog at metamorecity.com, participate in discussions on the fan forums at thecurse.org, or you can join our Facebook group, Fans of Metamore City. I really would like to know what you guys think about Dreams of Change and about anything else. 
That'll do it for this time, folks. I hope that you enjoyed Dreams of Change. I know that I enjoyed bringing it to you. And until next time, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. <laughs>